0: This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo.
1: Hello everyone in the U.S. and around the world. Thanks for joining us on today's show. Hope everybody's doing great and staying safe. And I know a lot of people around the world playing baseball. It's great to see MLB back in the show playing baseball. I know some of the teams are struggling a little bit with the pandemic, but I think the Major League Baseball overall is doing a really good job of trying to control all that and the games will continue. Don't forget, do us a favor before we start the show. Um, subscribe to YouTube, that's all we ask. We do all the shows for free. We got 90 plus shows on YouTube. Subscribe at Peter Caliendo on YouTube, and you will do us a great favor. It'll get the show out and it will help us get more people involved in the ed- education of our coaches, players, and parents in the U.S. and around the world. So, thanks again for that. And don't forget, the audio is also going to be on our podcast, baseballoutsidethebox.com, our Twitter at baseball out so check us out and let me tell you about our guest today we're excited we're continuing our talk about long-term development youth development getting players to look at the long-term getting coaches to look at the long-term training so that way the training's fun it's productive they're successful and they play the game longer that's the goal the goal isn't to get them to play short term and be successful for a year or two and then quit and go to another sport because that's what's happening a lot in baseball in a lot of areas but the, by the time they get to 13, they're dropping out and we want to make sure that we continue that path for them because baseball can be fun if it's done the right way. So let me talk about our guest, Bill Sandillo. Hey, listen, from Arizona. Um, so he's in the warm climate in Chicago here. We're just, uh, we're getting cold. We're getting warm. We get all kinds of climates here. Um, but Bill was a 15 years in professional baseball. Um, he's done all kinds of stuff in pro ball. But over his years, he has developed a system, certification system, a development system, a training system. Um, he was with Frank Robinson at the Arizona Fall League. He, was, he coached in the Cape Cod League, 23 years in Arizona with a training center, coached the national team, the Paisan national team, the Italian national team in Arizona when they were there in Mesa also the Chief Baseball Officer. And i got to ask him, it's interesting, I like that term, Chief Baseball Officer. So you ever hear that Chief chief Operating mm-hmm. Officer? And that's the guy with a tie and, and a stiff neck and all that. Um, and, you know, he, but he is the Chief Baseball Officer of his academy called Predator USA. And let me welcome our good friend, Italiano. I know you folks, you're going to get on me, another good Italian baseball player. <laughs> been in the game a long time, especially professional baseball. And we're looking forward to talking to Bill. So, Bill, welcome to the show, man.
0: Thanks, Pete. I'm happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: I know I gave you a short intro there. And if you, we're going to have your bio and everything on our website, on YouTube, everywhere. And people are going to see the tremendous background that you have when it comes to developing players. Um, just give us a little background. You know, basically, I guess just to start it off is – you know, how you got in the game. And, you know, you played pro ball, and then from pro ball, obviously, you then got into coaching and doing all kinds of things in professional baseball, which kind of rounded your, your uh, ability to, I guess, understand the game better.
0: Yeah, I always talk about doing it the opposite way. A lot of people start in pro ball, and then they work up through pro ball. You know, I was a guy who got noticed because of another player. Uh, Tino Martinez, I got noticed because of him. I was playing against him uh, when he was playing for U Tampa, and I had a great game. And so Chief Bender with the Reds talked to me after, and he's going to scout me throughout my collegiate career. You know, long and short of it is I was a roster filler in single A. I uh, didn't amount to much, got got out of single A very fast, but I knew I wanted to be in the game. I knew I wanted to play. So I played independent professional for a long time, but then I worked in the game. I said, listen, I, if I can't be a coach right away, I need to do something. So if I need to clean toilets, I need to hand out tickets. I need to, whatever I needed to do in pro ball, I did. So that's what I did. I started my pro career in single A with, uh, the, uh, with uh, the Mets in Pittsfield, Mass. And then it just took off. Um, I went to the Red Sox, I went to the Twins, I ended up out here in Scottsdale with the Giants. And through it all, I started to take jobs. I started to meet coaches. I became a bullpen catcher. And I wasn't a catcher at all, but I was an athlete. So I took that job because I wanted to be there. Um, you know, I also started throwing batting practice, which I loved. I started listening to the coaches. I started being involved with the pitching coaches, the hitting coaches. It was just, a, to me, it was a great learning experience. You know, it wasn't just about being in pro ball. I knew I wanted to be a coach at one time if I couldn't play. And then finally, when I got done playing, a friend of mine by the name of DeMarlo Hale says, you got to give up the game to be a good coach. And I couldn't give up the game for the longest time. I was 30 years old. And I still wanted to play, <laughs> but I knew I couldn't, right? And so I said, okay, I'm dedicating myself to being a coach. And that's when I did. I started an academy 23 years ago. Um, And we've been on fire ever since. We've just been doing different things. And I've been taking opportunities as they come up, you know, like coaching the national team, coaching in Italy and doing different things. So it's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. And we're going to talk about Italy because that's right. You coached in Italy. And, you know, what's interesting is I look back at my career and I'm thinking, you know, I went to McKeown Baseball School. I started off as a student, then a counselor. Then I started teaching And then um, I became director of instruction and everything kind of flowed from there. Um, yeah. And like you learned from different levels, different coaches, different aspects, but you and I come from a time. That's a little different in those days when we started, um, you know, it was a time where coaches told you what to do. You did it. And that was it. I yeah. taught what people taught me. Some of the best coaches taught me. I didn't question it as much as I should have in those days later yeah. on, I started questioning it now. Um, the other part, and I want to talk about two things. One, how to how you grew to, to become a top coach, but also, you know, a lot of coaches weren't great players either, and they had to study the game. They had to think more because they had to be better than that player that had those athletic skills that just did it naturally. So yeah. we're kind of in the same camp, no?
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, you know, I got my first taste working for Bucky Dent in Delray Beach, right? when I was still trying to play professionally, I was in Florida trying out and Bucky gave me room and board. He gave me a place to stay. And he says, Hey, for room and board, why don't you just do some clinics? And I'm like, perfect. And I have never taught before in my life. But the one thing that Bucky did that I thought was really good was he said, here's a script. Stick to the script. You know what you know, but here's what I know. Stick to the script because we're, we're working these kids down the line. And I thought that was amazing. I'm like, huh, that that's a different way of thinking. Instead of having me do my thing for an hour with a kid, Bucky had it scheduled and I said, He's on to something. I like that a lot. So it kind of changed my way of thinking. Now I've already, you know, I already started thinking differently because I was working with coaches and I and I thought I knew a lot about baseball until I started listening to everybody else. And then I realized I, I knew very little about development and what it took. And then I became a student and I started to listen. I became a sponge. I think the biggest thing I did was I didn't question, but I I often took notes of everybody, and then I deciphered what I thought was relevant, and then that developed the system, and then I became a student of the swing, and I started to notice with high-level guys, because I was with the Giants in 96 in AAA. And Barry Bonds was playing. We were there for spring training. He played at our spring training complex in Scottsdale. So I would go out and watch him take BP and listen to him. And i go, you know, there's something different about him. You know, he talks about receiving the ball instead of going out to hit it. That's different. You know, he talks about, you know, getting on plane early. He talks about sitting back on the ball. I'm like, okay, I heard that because I read the book of Ted Williams, right? Mm -hmm. And 50 years ago, what Ted Williams said was pretty relevant in some of the hitting today when I thought what Barry said was different. And I started to videotape Barry bonds and, and other players and other, other teachers like teacher man online. He's done this too, but we started, we started to see some high level swing patterns of these guys. And we said, okay, if we could get an Academy that teaches this from the, from the youth level up, the strength level is not going to be there, but if we can get that in their heads early, we can get away from what I was taught. Right. Cause when I was taught, swing down to it long through it because that's what that's what they said right and i think there's a means to an end to that but they didn't nobody broke it down and i think that's the biggest thing you got to break stuff down
1: and you know i'd like to get into that since we're on that i was looking on facebook so facebook folks if you got a question as we're talking here just type it in the comments section and and uh we'll get those questions in that'd be great to interact here a little bit. you know, be great to talk. I want to get into, let's start with the hitting a little bit, because then we'll go into the development aspect. Um, You know, there's a lot of things out there on hitting. Um, There's hitting experts everywhere. Uh, There's people studying it, and good ones too, because they're using a lot of science, a lot of research. Um, There's a lot of work, as you said, you know, you have to have some type of system and that system may be different for an eight-year-old because you don't want to overwhelm them. But, you know, compared to an older player, talk a little bit about, some of the things that you feel in your research are critical when it comes to teaching hitting.
0: Yeah. So teaching my system is a living, breathing entity and it constantly is evolving. What I thought was really relevant five years ago is evolving in today's game. And so you got to keep evolving with it. So what you think, you know, if you, if you're stuck in that mindset, you're never going to grow. Right. So what I found out from working with with young kids, and I'm working with a couple here. Now, I don't take students that are nine years old unless they show that they can play and learn the game, right? I I really think nine is too young to start hitting lessons. But what I try to do with these guys is I try to get them to understand certain things about what they do. So is their foundation uh, good? Are they getting unbalanced when they swing? I know they're not strong. So they're not, their connection rate when you talk about live pitching is just not going to be there. So what we do is we spend a lot of time on T work, on short front toss, just work on movement drills, and making sure that young kids can understand that when they get to their launch position, which to me is getting to foot down, what do you look like and what does that feel like? So we talk about feel a lot, right? So as soon as we can get the kid in that position and he feels all that, You know, then we go. Now, a nine-year-old's attention span is about 15 minutes. So it's a little different than an older kid, right? So we don't spend a lot of time with that, but we give them homework every day, working on foundation. And then when the nine-year-old comes back, the first question is, when can I hit? Well, you can hit when all these things look good. And then you're going to hit on your teams anyways, and you're going to do all that. I only care about certain things. So my research with young people has been, get them to understand what they look like and feel like when they get to the foot down and then, and then move into that and get that feel. And if you can feel like you're doing things correctly, the ball will tell you what you're doing wrong. If you hit a ball off the tee, it'll tell you, did you roll it over? Did you pop it up? Did you come off it? It'll tell you anything you want, right? The Mm -hmm. is is great for info. So as long as they can be consistent with their swing, start hitting line drives, straight ahead then we can start moving the t around start hitting line drives consistent contact then we work a progression program i call it like peeling the onion there's a million different drills you can do once you get past this one you can progress now my mentality was when i was growing up and the reason why i based my system this way was you know i'm a green belt in karate and through that there's different levels and when i was working out with my best friend he became a black belt faster than I did because I didn't care. I cared about certain movements and I always used to get stuck on certain movements until I perfected it. I was a perfectionist. And he flew right by me, right? Cause I would stay at this level. And then when I became a green belt, I had no aspirations of getting a black belt. I, I just wanted some movement drills, right? Karate was there to help me with baseball. That's really what it was. And so I try to tell these kids, Te- it's a system. You got to move you're ready not when you want to and that's I think what baseball is right we try to throw a nine-year-old on a pitching machine and then all the balls are behind him you walk into a facility you see a thousand balls behind him what did that kid just learn right you talked about loving the game that kid hates the game and he's not going to get past 13 because he can't hit it's discouraging he didn't learn anything his father's on him And he's out of the game, right? Because he can do other things at 13, like play video games, right? So that's really what I found moving up.
1: You know, and it's interesting because, you know, we talk a lot about on the show, you know, you just mentioned karate. You mentioned the word balance. Um, You know, you talk about hockey, basketball, when you're a multi-sport athlete at a young age. You know, we, yeah. you know, I would think the common sense behind this is so simple to understand. We don't need research for it. If we if we had multi-sport athletes at the ages, starting at seven years old, just playing anything, playing yeah. soccer in the backyard, playing with your own yeah. buddies, yeah. not playing wiffle ball, whatever it is that you're doing, but you're doing several different things, developing different skills, you'd be much better at a very difficult game, baseball, because it incorporates the vision, the balance. Um, um, so I want to ask you about, that part of it as far as, being yeah. um, you know, a multi-sport athlete when you're young. And the second part in hitting, when it comes – isn't balance. I mean, if you can concentrate on being quick to the ball and take a full swing as hard as you want, but staying balanced at it, which is not easy, and that's a challenge for young kids. But when it's a challenge, it's also fun because if you tell them, you know, hit the ball as hard as you want, but also stay balanced at the same time, it's a game for yeah. them. So, kind of talk about those two things a little bit. What do you think?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, growing up in Massachusetts, you know, I played three sports. I played three sports in high school because the change of season, right? You can't play baseball in the middle of winter. So, you play basketball, right? Um, when I moved to Arizona, I saw a lot of that. I saw a lot of parents saying, My kid's good at baseball. He doesn't like football. I said, Well, has he ever tried anything else? So, in my academy, it's pretty mandatory that when baseball season's over, you take two months off. And if you decide you're not going to play another sport, that's okay. But we tell people, I want you to play flag football. I want you to play basketball. I want you to play soccer. Keep running. Um, And then we start – we're probably seven months a year out here for full-time baseball, right? But it consists of a lot of things. We take four months off from throwing. So we're a little bit different. Even though we can play year-round and we got guys that only play baseball – we only will use the arm. We'll take four months off. So they're going to use the arm doing other things. Maybe they're a quarterback in our football team, right? Maybe they're going to play basketball and they're going to have their hand movements. That's okay. We want that because at the end of the day, your son may like basketball better than baseball. It may be an easier sport for him to transition to. You may be a better athlete in one and discover that in, in high school. Right? So you don't have to lay all your eggs in one basket with baseball, you know? Um, so development was easy for me because I came from a three-sport thing and out here in Arizona it didn't change the mindset never changed for us my academy it doesn't change you can't be a one-sport athlete in my academy otherwise I only see you seven months a year I don't see you 12 even if you want to see me I don't see you you know what I mean I tell you I'm sorry you're going to have to play another sport you know what I mean and then
1: what was and, the other question, people? No, no and, and on the balance part was the hitting yeah. part. And I didn't mean to throw two questions at one time. Sometimes my mind yeah. races. Um, yeah, the, the balance part, because, and I bring this up for this reason. Um, and I want people to understand this, because we talk about this. Baseball has several levels where it starts off. It starts off possibly a ball, which I got to tell you, I'm not a fan of. Uh, that's, another, that's another discussion. But, yep. And we can talk about that, too. But then it might go to an in-house league right? Where the kid only plays 20 games, possibly. They still have them. You know, what kid just wants to play baseball? Have yeah. some fun. And maybe if they're lucky, depending on the state they come from here in Illinois, they might have four practices. If they're even lucky to have four practices, then right. you might have the travel leagues at the different levels. Um, and then you get at high school and college and it, it keeps going up. Yeah. Well, you know, what you're teaching a travel hitter <clears throat> and what you're teaching that in-house hitter is different because you've got a coach Who's got 12 kids? He's in a travel, he's in a excuse me, in-house league. He's got to try to get them to hit a little bit because hitting's fun. And if it's fun, they stay in the game longer. We all know that. Yeah. But he can't, he doesn't have the time to um you know spend with them working on their hitting that much. He also, some of these kids may not go to private lessons, because like you said, some are young, they shouldn't go too early. So now that coach, I'm thinking, well, okay, well, one thing he at least do is when they're hitting off a tee or we're soft toss or whatever, explain to them, hit the ball as hard as you like, but at the end, try to be balanced because ultimately that's what you're working on. When you're balanced, you also have pretty good vision. I mean, we're heading in the wrong direction there?
0: No, you know, and I think balance is a relative term in nowadays baseball, right? Because when you get a lot of guys getting heavy on their front side, they may be balanced to them, but they're heavy on their front side, they're susceptible to anything off speed. So we try to say, in my organization, balance means being back, and then can you jump straight up off your feet, right? If you can't, you're still unbalanced when you start. And when you're unbalanced when you start, you're gonna be unbalanced when you finish. So balance comes into play a lot with us. And like you, and I've seen your videos, we have a kid swing through, finish, and hold his finish and be balanced, right? Uh, and then when we're throwing him off speed, how balanced are you when you can finish and be balanced, right? Because that's going to teach you how to hit a curveball and not lunge, right? Mm-hmm. So absolutely. So what we do is we teach to swing backwards. We teach it from foot down first, and then we work backwards into live one motion, right? And then at the end of one motion, because you work so hard on the in-between stuff, you should be balanced. And the only time you're not balanced is when you got a guy who's nasty and you got to give him credit because that's his job to keep you unbalanced, right? Because unbalanced means no power. And you're not driving the ball when you're not balanced, right? Yep. You may find a hit now and then and you're going to get those hits, right, by throwing the bat out there. But consistency in balance is key. And we got to teach these kids young age, and that's what goes back to their pyramid, right? We talk about their foundation – The structure is the strongest structure in the world is a pyramid, right? They've been there for thousands of years. They're not going anywhere, right? But if you get too tall and you stride out and you get heavy on that front side, you're unbalanced because anything can happen from there. If I throw a high fastball or low and in or off speed, you're going to move some way. And that's what we're trying to get kids to understand is that. So when I glide out, and I use Kristen Yelich as an example, when I glide out and I stay weighted, we call it staying weighted, which means balanced, that I can adjust, and that's the adjustability factor, I can adjust to any pitch.
1: Hmm. Jeff, um, I was going to say, I called you Jeff. <laughs> Bill, and the reason I was called you Jeff was because I, Jeff Fry was on the show, former big league player. Um, yep. He's been on the internet a lot. Um, he's yep. talked about, you know, the launch angle being a waste of time. Technology, a lot of times a yep. waste yep. of time. You know, and, and, and I get it. I understand some of the things he, where he's coming from in some areas, Um, But I also understand that technology kids love, so you can kind of use it to keep make have some fun and give coaches good feedback. How do you balance the technology aspect um, with the launch angle? Um, Because, you know, I'm watching television every day here. I'm seeing home runs, home runs, home runs. But I'm also seeing a lot of fly outs, a lot of fly outs, a lot of fly outs. Well, those home runs for young kids that are 10 years old are not home runs. They're going to be outs. But they may not be outs because they might drop them. But they're still going to be not – well hit. So how do you balance that, I guess?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of layers to that question. And here's, I would start with Jeff Fry. You know, being an ex-major leaguer is a huge accomplishment and I have a ton of respect for those guys, right? But I, I say this too, what worked for you in the 80s and 90s is not relevant, as relevant as it is today. And if you're not keeping up with technology or at least admit that there, there is another way to teach, you can't be stuck in one way. Not every hitter teaches or looks the same at home plate, but there are certain elements of their swing, at least the high-level guys, that all look the same, right?
1: Especially – and especially at contact. I mean, pretty yeah. much at contact, everybody looks the same, no matter yeah. where the pitch is at, unless right. they're off balance and they had to stay through the ball or, or, or adjust yeah. a little bit. But as far as making contact, they're all the same at contact. Yeah.
0: And I think – but to discredit a – Systematic methodology, right, to hitting or to swinging, because you didn't do it, is pretty irresponsible, especially from a big leaguer, right? Jeff Fry has a lot of followers. I don't really call it a movement. I call it kind of a groupie list. Um, he could really work the game if he wanted to, but I don't. I think it's education. I think just because you play at a high level doesn't mean you stop learning, right? Otherwise, all these guys that play the game would be great hitting coaches, and we know, you said it earlier, we've worked with some pretty bad guys, I can name a few, which I won't, that played Hall Hall of Famers, by the way, that can't teach
1: hitting, okay? And and, and on that, you know, Bill, I was going to mention, you know, that's the thing I don't like about Twitter and social yeah. media. And I, and Jeff and I talked about this because sometimes, you know, when you start putting so many characters on social media, especially in a complicated issue like this, it gets really misinterpreted. An example would be, yeah. I mentioned to him, well, do you really have to have played at the big league level to actually coach really well? Well, he, he really doesn't believe that. I mean, um, sure. also with, with the with the launch angle, let, let me ask you this about that. Yeah. What do you say to the coach that says, um, why should I buy and you're a representative of
0: um, Blast.
1: Uh, blast, sorry, yep. Blast. What do you say to a coach that says, well, why do I need that technology when what I can do is when I hit a ball off a tee, I can see where the ball goes, and I know that's a line drive gap in the double, or double in the gap, or a home run, or wherever it is, and, I, and my body starts to understand the angle that I'm taking. I think we all understand you got to get on the plane of the, of the ball that's coming down, the same plane. So what, right. what do you say to those guys? How, how do you address that?
0: Yeah, good question. And, and here's what I would say. You have to utilize technology to help you, right? When you're talking about young players 12 years old and using that technology, it's not about what they look like today. It's what they're going to look like five years from now. So what we're trying to do is make that transformation. I don't use everything that Blast offers. I only use a few metrics, right? I use getting on plane early and rotational acceleration, right? I use a couple things, but when I put guys on blast, I can videotape their swing, and every piece of their swing is dissected. Now, when you get a guy who isn't experienced with video analysis, and he gets on a tee, and he sees his son hitting that line drive up the middle, he can say, yeah, what do I need video for? But what you don't see is on a tee, is he over-rotating, Because the live game situation is a lot different than hitting a stationary target, right? So that's what I'm talking about. Stationary targets are good for consistency, but it's not good when you're trying to hit a ball that's actually moving 30 feet from you. And you have to pick that up in your brain to identify the movements, and then you have to have that adjustability in your swing to make the adjustments. That's what technology does for me. Now, it may not do that for somebody else, but that's how I look at
1: it. Right, right. That's how I use it. And I think that's a great point. And I also, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, it's also good because visually the young hitter can see, you know, you know how some coaches or parents will yell, well, watch the ball. You're not watching it. You know, um, you know, my response would be, well, thanks for telling me, because, you know, I've been trying to do that. I just not sure how to do it. Right. Yeah. I appreciate the advice, but it's not working. Now the youngster could actually see their head turning at a certain point too early or certain things. I mean, and like I said, they do like technology. So if we yeah. don't get on playing, playing with what they like, that could turn them off also.
0: Well, they love video games, right? And I also work with Hit tracks. So Hit tracks is a large video game. When you put a kid on there, he wants to see how far he hit the ball, right? But here's what I would say about technology. When you're opening up too quick, and I call it the kinetic sequence of the swing, right? I can teach a 12-year-old the kinetic sequence, what's supposed to work in unison before connection. And if one of those things are out of whack, like you've pulled your shoulder out, you didn't stay closed, you stepped in the bucket, and now you're trying to hit an outside pitch where you're just reaching for it, that's what that shows. So I try to teach them the kinetic sequence first to get to connection, and then everything should line up pretty good. And that's what the T helps with, because once you're good with that, and you start doing your live motion stuff, then you start to see the differences, and you start to see the breakdowns now your connection rate goes down now we can really dive into the video analysis and say okay where did it break down let's work on that so we segment out the swing so i think that's the education i talk about and you're 100 percent correct about twitter and all that stuff i try not to post too much because every time you post something on twitter you get annihilated right from all these guys <laughs> that just disagree and that's the beauty of those characters they can disagree with you and hammer your system no matter what you do right and that's why I try, to, I try to tell guys like Jeff Fry and Teacherman, there's no reason to battle. I think you're both right. I think there's both room in this game. But here's the thing. If you're not educating yourself, you cannot discredit something else. And I will never do it, right? I always think that if you have something to offer, and it's, it's relevant to today's game, and it's a different way to do it, and it shows measurable results, it's valid. It's valid. Whether I played at the big league level or I didn't play at all, right? And I got a good friend on Twitter, and he's a police officer. He never played. But he's great at what he does. He's uncorrupted, I call it, by the swing. He learned it. He perfected it. He teaches it. And he's getting good results.
1: You know, I would assume, too, that with some of the technology out there, I'm sure – know, there's a time and place to use it. We've got to be careful how much we use it. If they're only dependent on that, but you know, if the most important part of a movement has to be understood in a game situation, because that, like you said, that's really where it breaks down. You can be real well on a tee, you get in the game, it could still break down. To understand, you have to really study it in a game. Now we know. We think we know it's not a good thing to start telling kids what to do during a game because they're going to let them play the game. But if right. You're them with some of the high technology in the actual game, th- this technology can help you break that down really well.
0: Absolutely. And I, here, I used to say this in my organization to parents. I used to say, listen, it's not your fault. And I gave them a handout that's titled, It's Not Your Fault. It's not your fault that you didn't play pro ball. It's not your fault that you didn't get educated, right? (laughs) It's not your fault that you're an insurance salesman by day and you try to teach baseball at night. But here is what your fault is, right? You can't teach the game in the middle of a game. That's what training, that's what practicing is for, right? Playing the game is about showcasing your kid. Now, there's two different showcases going on, right? They're showcasing what you know and they're showcasing what you don't know. So all these big time tournaments that are coming up and I got parents going, hey, I need to get my son into this PG tournament because it's that 15U showcase. Well, guess what? I can tell you, mom and dad, that your son will showcase to the scouts what he does not know. And that's going to hurt him. So don't go. Don't waste your $300 and go, right? Spend that on some more training and and get some training. Now, the thing with video analysis and, and all this software that's out there, you have to use it to what you're looking for. So educate yourself. Do due diligence, right? As a parent, I tell people, don't buy BLAST because I use it. Go go educate yourself on BLAST and what it can do for your son. And you have to educate yourself. So these parents now are saying, okay, I want to send them to you. You tell me what to do. No, 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 no. You go educate yourself. I'm going to teach you yeah. because you're going to help your son I'm going to reinforce it when he comes to see me. And then I'm going to go back to you to say, is he doing his stuff? Because then I can give you measurable results, right? But if you don't know how technology works and you're going to be oblivious to that whole thing, your son's not going to know. He's not going to know. But only take out what works for you. And that's what technology has done. It's been really, really good for me. It's, it's increased my business a thousand percent, thousand percent.
1: And, and, you know, the other thing is, remember when we were coaching, we didn't have technology. Uh, yeah. I used to have coaches come up and say, oh, you're doing this. I just took, like, four swings. Uh, yeah. what, what do you have, super uh, vision or Superman? Yeah. You got some kind of vision that you can tell in four swings what I'm doing wrong? Yeah. Um, you know, and then as a coach, I always was careful. I always wanted to watch the player for a while and then really study it because I didn't have video. Let's say we didn't have video cameras at one time. Yeah. Um, so I studied it and I was very careful what to say because the human eye can't pick up what what a camera can pick up or what technology. So it really right. reinforces us in what we're teaching. We feel like a lot safer telling somebody, listen, this is the area we need to try to work on and here's why, and show it to them through that 1,000 frames per second or the Rapsodos or whatever the te- technology yes. is. Now, yes. you brought up an interesting point. Um, on the show, we talk about this. Look, long-term the game's not going to develop if you're not educating coaches, players, and parents. Correct. A, for us, it's a three-pronged system because right. no matter what people think, as soon as that kid goes home, guess what happens? Dad, dad especially is going to tell him what he should be doing and not what the coach should be doing, telling him. But if they were on the same page as you're talking about and you're certifying people, the yes. system would be much better. Players would be less confused. So I liked what you said about when we talked about the games. And here's my question about the games. Yeah. During the games, there has to be some teaching going on, but it's not necessarily the fundamental aspect. It's the teaching of the game and how you play the game and how, what you think during the game. Um, yeah. Because here's what we see a lot. And, and look, we see a lot, I see it a lot in travel ball, okay? But I also see great travel ball coaches. But in travel ball, I see a lot of this, where something happens, they come in, I don't see anybody talking to the player. You just threw to the wrong base. You just yeah. maybe – not a fundamental – it might be talked about after the game. I, you know, I'm not there all the time, but I think it's important that there's some teaching going on during the game yes. uh, time. So they learn the game. Kids nowadays don't seem to understand the game.
0: Yeah. In, in, in my organization, what we do is when we play a game, everything that happens in the game for right, wrong, or indifferent, we write it down because that's our agenda for next session, right? If it's a miscut, you didn't line up correctly. Um, your your bunt play was off, whatever it was, we have a laundry list of things that we can talk about Uh, during the game. And I do two things. So if I'm calling pitches and this is kind of how we set it up in our, in our organization. Um, So, so think with me here for a second. So the pitcher is throwing to a hitter and his first and second, and we have a defense set, right? The guy will throw a pitch. The guy will hit it in the gap and they'll come in and I'll call the pitcher catcher over. And the first thing I'll ask them is uh, tell me what you called and what you were thinking and knowing the defense that was set, what was your mindset when you were making that pitch? Because I want them to take ownership of what they're doing right now. I could have said, Hey, give me an outside fastball. I got the shift on, you know, but you got to be able to see the players around you because I used to say there's always a game going on within the game. Okay. The pitcher, control the tempo but there's a game going on around you and you're if you're not privy to that game and based on what I have to do on the very next pitch what am I doing so the pitcher has a game going on going okay there's three outcomes that I'm going to throw I want him to swing and miss I want him to put it in play or on umpire to call a strike there's only three scenarios in my book right so here's the thing as a catcher knowing those three scenarios tell me what the outcome should be based on the situation so we're thinking ahead, two and three pitches, and if we execute what we're supposed to, then the game plays out the way we want it to, right? But we know that the game isn't like that. That's what we set our plan out to be. But then the guy could take that fastball and, you know, reach for it and then just loop it over third base, right? Yeah. We didn't plan for that because we planned for him to hit it to our second baseman. But the, but I, what I'm what I'm really trying to get at is the mindset, right? So in game. Management, I call it, is there's a responsibility for the players. There's a responsibility for the coaches to work together. And, yes, when something goes wrong, we group them together and we say, listen, where were you supposed to go? Yes. Okay, you know what you're doing, right? Okay. So we need to change that next time. We start a communication. We write down what happens. And then we talk about it. So I'm not a big fan for long conversations at the end of the game either, right? I Mm -hmm. think it's a waste of time. Because whether you won or you lost, let's say you lost big. I see a lot of coaches blowing up on their team. What did you just do for that team who just got you know humiliated by the other team? All he wants to do is get the hell out of there, and all you're trying to do is put him down more. So I just said, listen, the 24-hour rule for both parents and coaches, we don't talk about the game until 24 hours from now. Love Good, it. bad, or indifferent. We say, listen, parent, if you got a complaint, come to me 24 hours. I want it to de-escalate. And players, if you got a problem, de-escalate 24 hours. Let's talk about it. And then we recap the game first session. We go ahead and we recap. So I thought it's been working great for us.
1: Love it. You know, and we're going to talk about (laughs) in a minute the ride home because that's the next torture Um, and and the next part that needs to be educated. Again, this is all about education. This is not about bashing anybody. This is not about – criticizing people. You know, we always call it constructive criticism. We've all gone through it. We're still making It's not your sense. fault, Pete. Yeah, I love that. I wrote that down. Not your yeah. fault. And i got to tell you, 37 years in the game, 38, um, I'm still learning, and I still think yeah. I don't know that much. I thought I knew that much when Me I started. Too. I still don't yeah. know it. But here, here's what I want to ask you. something's changed in the game, and you, you said it perfectly, you're asking players their opinion. That's what's changed in the game when it comes yes. to – I think that's a plus. Yes. Um, but the other part is – wanted to ask you about you still have some coaches out there um, and I can't go out and videotape them because you can get sued, you know, videotaping games that you're not part of, Um, but I see them. I go, I go out to games all the time and they're constantly telling players what to do ahead of time on defense, you know, uh, move left, move, right. Make sure if the ball comes to you, do this. Um, That's over coaching, isn't it? I mean, shouldn't they be thinking that on their own? And then, like you said, you talk about it.
0: Yeah. I, Again, two things, right? So if you set a defense because you're working a shift, right, then it goes to the Bill Belichick mentality. Do your job. And what is your job? And that's where I don't have to say anything. I just tell my guys, do your job. You know what your responsibility is. I don't have to coach you on that.
1: And you if practice you it. Up,
0: you repractice it, right? If you do mess up, I'm not saying anything. I'm just writing it down. And then we can talk about it after. But that's why I say the game, there's a game going on within the game. It's a learning game, right? I'm not, I don't really care about the outcome. I want my guys to succeed. I know parents care about the outcome. I even know kids want to win, right? But the bigger picture is where, what are you going to look like five years from now? What are you going to look like in your development if everybody has to tell you everything, right? That's what practice is for. I'm going to grind you in practice. And then when we get to the game, it's all about showcasing. And you got showcasing either way, right? So if you don't know something and you got to the game part, guess what? You better come for help because I'm going to give it to you, right? And whether you accept it or not is up to you.
1: I'm going to get two signs, not your fault and do your job. I love those two. Um, You know, the other aspect also is when we're talking long-term development, this is something that we preach to parents all the time. Look, and I understand, look, if you're a parent, you, you don't want to see your kid fail. That's hard. You know, you and I, yeah. it's easy for us to say, hey, you know, relax, take it easy. Don't worry about it. But don't forget, that's your kid failing. Um, yeah. But understanding that if kids have the ability to make decisions, which is fun, right? Take an extra base on your own. It's fun that you're playing the game and the freedom to understand that you can fail, but understand afterwards what that failure was and how can I get better at it Now players will stay in the game longer because they're going to have a lot more fun when they're able to do those two things.
0: Yeah. You know, and again, two sides, the whole failing part, right? I believe this game is a game of failure and we're going to fail no matter what it is. We just can't hammer the failure all the time, right? Three for 10, you're an all-star in the big leagues. That means you failed 70% of the time. There's not another profession in this world, airline pilot, Um, doctor, lawyer, CPA, that if you failed 70% of the time, you'd be accepted as a good anything, right? But when you're talking about kids' development, and this is why I give that parents that handout that it's not your fault in the beginning of the season, because it it really pertains to that car ride, right? You cannot talk to your kid for 24 hours about the game. That's a rule for us, right? So we don't get those car rides because – I know you're biting at the bit to hammer your kid on the ride home. And if I find out about it, I get you out of here, right? Because there's got to be a trust factor here. And we're trying to set your son up for success in a failure business. But here's the thing, Pete. It's a life thing. There's failure in life. If he never plays baseball, which we know 1% goes on to play pro baseball, right? How is he going to succeed in life if all he knows how to do is win he never knows how to fail? How is he going to handle relationships when the girl he says he loves doesn't love him back, right, or the Mm -hmm. job he gets fired on because he thought he was doing a good job, but he got fired, and he's like, how, right? If you're not used to failure and you can't accept failure and it starts at the grassroots level of baseball, I think sports really does that for you, then how are you going to succeed in life, especially if you got your parents telling you all the time, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, but dad, I failed. I guess, I guess I'm not the greatest. You got to, you got to prepare for that. So what I try to do is prepare my kids for is you're going to fail 90% of the time in this game and it's okay. If you can learn with failure, if you can take failure, then this game just became a lot easier in my head. Yeah. So, and if they know I'm not going to hammer them for every little thing they do wrong, then they love the game more. Right. Right. Yep. And I don't like- ha- they don't have to stand in front of me coming into the dugout. I get these coaches, Pete, where they go, okay, hey, come here. You're coming off the field. Come here. And they stand in front of the coach and he gets berated for two minutes. Well, that kid's got to go hit, by the way. Yep. Now you just took him out of his at-bat because he doesn't want to fail there either because he knows he'll get hit for that too.
1: I so- think, and I think something also to educate, and I love all that. I think there's a great show. And, folks, you know, we got people on Facebook. If you've got a question, just type it in the comments section. Text me if you have to. Um, you know, the other aspect is when we talk about failure, it's interesting, and you're, a, you're also a hitting guy, but every yeah. time we talk about failure, hitting comes up as the number one thing, right, because yep. that's yep. where you tend to fail a little bit more, you know, and you said, how about looking at the positive, because there's so many things that happen mm-hmm. on defense, pitching, uh, guys, you know, base running. We, we never give enough credit. You know, you might go on 0 for 4, but you may have stolen two bases and scored a winning run. Or you yep. may have made a diving catch that saved the run to win the game in, in, the, in the last inning. There's so many different ways to show the positive things that kids are doing in the game because then they're not so overwhelmed with all the negatives.
0: Yeah, and you know, for me, hitting, if you fail in hitting, it's because you failed before you got up to the plate. I think there's a mindset there. I think there's a preparation that needs to take place, and it needs to be practiced. You need to, you need to, and I, I challenge my kids all the time. I say, hey, how many times you get up in a game? And most of them say, ah, oh, coach, we get up three or four times. Okay, and I would say, how would you like to get up 12 times? Oh my God, I'd love to get up 12 times. I go, well, here's the deal. Put yourself and everybody else's at bats. Tell me what that pitcher's out pitch is with two strikes. Tell me what he's going to do in this situation. Tell me what you would think about. What's your mindset? What's your plan of attack? And if you do that for every single at-bat, you've gotten up 12 times. Physically, you've gotten up four times. But the pitcher's going to give you a blueprint of how he's going to pitch you. Because pitchers are creatures of habit. If you strike out a guy twice in a row and curveballs in the dirt, guess what the third guy's getting with two strikes? Right? right? Pretty simple, right? Um, but do your due diligence. But I think, Hitters fail before they even get in the box. I really do. And if you're prepared, and we, I, I deal a lot with the mental side of the game. We have a buddy of ours, Ken Re- Reviza, who passed away.
1: Ken's been on the um, show several times. Lo- love love him.
0: Ken. I, I met him several times when I was in the minor leagues, when he was making his rounds. He really opened my eyes up to the mental side. I think this game is more 50-50 now. I think it's 50-50 physical, 50-mental. And the mental guys really succeed. And when I was with the Red Sox organizations, and I don't mean to, to bounce around, but one of the things that stuck out for me was when I listened to Manny Ramirez talk about hitting, he was mentally prepared. He was a great hitter, but he had no problem striking out because he knew the guy behind him, David Ortiz was going to do the job if he couldn't do it. But he was mentally in, in the game hundred percent of the time. It wasn't purely based on performance, right? He let the mental side handle the performance side. And I know that's getting a little bit too deeper. You have to really dive into that. But um, I think the mental side of the game is not discussed as much. You know what I mean? In this I agree. Game,
1: and, so. and there's some great resources out there. Obviously, Ken's got several books still out there. Um, yeah. great person. There's a lot of good resources. Hey, folks, uh, the other thing, don't forget, please uh, subscribe. If you love the show, we got 90 plus already on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube at Peter Caliendo and also Baseball Outside the Box. That's where the audio's at. Uh, in case you're only listening to it, Uh, and and you probably wondered, you know, what am I doing here? This doesn't look like real clean water. This is healthy water. This is uh, fruit water. Um, And I'm not advertising anybody's product here, but during the pandemic, I think you're making a big mistake if you don't take a look at your health, you're not walking every day, if you're not exercising, if you're not drinking plenty of water, getting great sleep, taking vitamins. Um, I've done my homework. 70% 70% of, Americans are, 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 uh, 70% of Americans are deficient in vitamin D. The majority of the people who have coronavirus had very low levels of vitamin D. Now, that doesn't mean if you have high levels, you're, you're safe, but it, your immune system is stronger. So please do your homework. This is a great time to develop great habits. Um, yep. a, uh, Bill, listen, I wanted to ask you about this because you said the ride home. What happens if on the ride home, I'm Pete, the kid. I say, Bill, to my dad, Bill, what'd you think? Uh, you know, I struck out, dad, I struck out four times. Um, what man, I didn't feel good. What, what'd you see? What do you, what do you say?
0: Yeah, I think, I, I think that's perfect because I want the kid to initiate, right? The idea with it's not your fault is I don't want the parents to initiate. I want the kids to initiate with their father because there has to be that connection because what I do is anybody that wants to coach in my organization, I I give them a certificate. They have to go through a four-hour certification with me, and it's a level one certification, but it teaches them base-level stuff of what I teach and what's important. Okay? And, yes, it's on my system. It's not on an overall system of whatever anybody uses, but if you're going to be in my system, then the lingo has to be the same. You have to talk the same lingo so when you're, when you say, when your kid says something to you, the father goes, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about son. So let me look at that next time or I'll share that with your coach and let him look at that next time. And then we can both dive in and give you some good information.
1: Good, good you know? comment for a parent to say um, to their kids after a ball game. Yeah, I really love watching you play.
0: Absolutely. You know, did you have fun?
1: Well, it, not, let me ask time, you about that. What happens yeah. says, no, I didn't have fun because I struck out four times.
0: Yeah, so the good thing is most of the time he'll say that. He'll say, so so first of all, you have to understand why you failed. And that takes hard work and understanding. So let's go ahead and dissect that with you, son. If you want to learn, if you're upset, I'm here to help, okay? And I can tell you why you failed, but you got to want to know why. If you just want a pat on the back, I can do that too, you know?
1: Here's something we hear a lot from everybody. Even I've said it myself many times to coaches. Um, But, you know, I'm one of these guys, when you say something, I think about it now. I didn't, you know, it's not like the past where they told me and I just did it. Um, And it it seems to be used, a term used very light, you know, hey, have fun, go out there and have fun. Excuse me. Um, What does that mean? I mean, fun, you know, and how do you have fun? Um, How do you get to that level of having fun? Because again, I mentioned it, I struck out four times. To me, that's not having fun. I can go play soccer and move all day. Um, And and, and even on skating, on ice, you know, I can move all day and still not be successful. But I had a blast because I was moving constantly. That's the tough part about baseball. What, for you as a coach, what does that mean, have fun? And how do you accomplish or get your kids to accomplish that?
0: Yeah, so fun. I mean, we did have an acronym for fun, but fun is about understanding what I did right. And I tell my kids, if you had fun today, it's because you totally understand what you did. You know, Johnny could have hit four balls, squared them up, 0 for 4, but guess what? You didn't do anything wrong. And th- to me, that's still fun part of the game,
1: right? Because you hit it hard.
0: Because you hit it hard. And I always preach the future, right? You're playing for tomorrow. You're not playing for just right now, right? You still got a lot of learning, developing to do. So. When you have fun, it's about understanding what you're doing. And if you can understand what you're doing, then the failures are still fun, you know? And so I think the mindset has to be there. So we talk about having that mindset going into the game. Um, That's why I love do your job, right? I look at the baseball field because I consider myself a defensive specialist too. I took this defense to Italy with me. I say, listen, if you're doing your job and you're not trying to do somebody else's, nobody can say nothing to you you're doing your thing right but when you're trying to do everybody else's job like the shortstop who pitches and he wants to be this number one hitter if you're thinking you can do everything in a team sport you can't right but I look at the game of baseball like a chessboard. we are just pawns in this game and we all have to move simultaneously based on what somebody else does and that's going to dictate our next move. And so any move can happen at any time. That's the greatest thing. That's called the hitter. The hitter can hit the third. He can hit the center field. It doesn't matter where he hits it. I got to be able to be in the game. And I got to do my job as soon as something happens.
1: Love it. Um, the other aspect uh, that you hear a lot of, and this is where kids, um, I want to get your opinion on it. This is where kids drop out of baseball. Okay. Um, and yeah. that is practice. Because now we're, you know, if, if practice, you know, practice is kind of like going to school. It's kind of like listening to a speaker, okay? I don't care how much good information that speaker has. I have a short attention span. If he yeah. doesn't grab my attention, even though it's my responsibility to pay attention, if they don't grab my attention, we already know we only retain about 10% of what we hear. Now I'm retaining a lot less because I'm certainly not paying attention to that person. Same thing in practice. We say, well, kids got to pay attention. But well, wait a second. Yep. Isn't it our responsibility also to organize a fun practice so that way it's productive and there's learning? But again, Bill, what does that mean when we say run a fun practice?
0: Yeah. You know, if you, if you can put a number on boring, right? Let's say boring is equal to zero. If you have a conversation with your kids and say, guys, what do you think of boring one to 10, boring being zero? You're going to hear a lot of threes and fours, right? So it's pretty boring. So what I've tried to do in my organization is I segment practice out. So if I have a two-hour practice, I always tell the pitchers and catchers, you guys come in the first 20 minutes of the practice. Infielders, we're going to work on defense. You come second half of the practice, okay? And then we're going to hit at the end. So we're not all just standing around. We're, We're getting that individualized attention. We're turning, you know, the pitching catching into a game. How many times can you hit a spot and get points for it after we do our fundamentals? Um, catchers, how many times I'm going to, I'm going to have the pitcher throw the ball in the dirt. How many times can you block it? You already know it's going in the dirt. Right? So we turn it into a training session, but a fun training session, right? Cause we put the level of competition on it with each other. And then I segment it out, but you're absolutely right. I've seen coaches show up. It's a two hour practice they have me show up and help them. I go, what are we doing? Uh, we're going to warm up. We're going to throw. <laughs> we're going to base run. And then we're going to hit at the end. Okay. Zero to 10. That's a zero to me. Right? I'm bored already. <laughs> you just talked to me. We're just
1: listening to it.
0: Yeah. The agenda's boring. <laughs> I hate it. I'm out. Right. And they check out mentally. Everybody checks out mentally. It's a terrible practice. So you do have to shift it up. And then what I tell parents is, If you're going to have a practice, it's different every time. Change it up. So so I'll give you five and six agendas, and every other agenda has to be different. So when I show up to practice, what agenda are we on? We're on number three today. Okay, I know what that is. I like it. Let's go, right? And then everybody else has that expectation. And then it becomes fun. And then you talk about 13 is the age where they drop off. And I think there's a lot of factors for that, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's girls. No doubt. I think there's uh, other things, friends. They're they're discovering other things, right? Good, bad, or indifferent. They're discovering other things. They're coming into their own, meaning they're not being controlled by their parents now. Um, There's different distractions. So, yeah. And that's why I think leading up to 13, because we know 13 is the, the cutoff point you really got to get them before they're 13 or they're just going to fall off and you're never going to see them again, you know? Yeah, and, and I believe so. that at if,
1: if that 13 age, there's no doubt. There's other reasons. they, And then, and then there's also competitive sports. There's other sports that they're interested yes. in. Um, yes, But, but at, the, at that point, if they're doing really well in the game, and that's what I mean by long-term, because if they're getting, if they're getting pretty good by now at 13, um, you know, they may stay in a little bit longer because they're having fun doing it because they're successful. Yes. They're not that successful. They're even more likely to drop out. Um, When you said boring and you ask your kids questions all the time, what do you think is boring? You mentioned, obviously the talk that, you know, the the plan just now, but what do you think is other things that are boring in practice and what kids look at as boring in practice?
0: Yeah. Well, the first thing is when you're standing around, you're bored, right? You're not engaging. Your head's not there. Your mindset's not there. So you got to have, a mini clinic every practice. So I always like to mix in um, stations. I have to have agility station, and I work around the infield, right? We work on pitchers and catchers, bunt defenses with the first baseman, while the second baseman and and shortstop are working on flips, right? And then we're working on outfield, how to work on footwork, and then we have an agility station going on with the rest of the guys. Mm. Then we blow the whistle. Everybody rotates, right? And that's why we got to segment the catchers and pitchers out, too. they got to be in different groups, right? But we try to make it fun. So kids think throwing is boring. So we say, okay, what's boring about throwing? Yeah, I'm just not good at it. Okay, so let's dissect it. You're not throwing correctly. You're going to hurt your arm by the time you're 12, right? Um, I think fly balls is boring. Okay, so I lay them on their face, throw it straight up in the air, and I say, find the ball. Yeah, so they got And yeah, that's up. not
1: boring anymore.
0: <laughs> now it's not boring because now if you don't find the ball, it can hit you in the head, right? So we try to change up the drills that are more game ready like, more into like, and then again, don't keep them extra hours. That's the one thing. If I see kids dragging, I say, okay, you four are done, go home. Okay. The rest of the guys that want to finish up, we're going to hit at the end. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, these kids find new energy. I want to hit. Okay. You're in group four. You're going to hit last. Okay. You know, there's a thousand things you can do, right, to make it fun. But you're always going to get a small thing of boring because you're going to have those kids that always think it's all boring. But if you make them staying around, it's boring. You're not learning anything.
1: Yeah. And the other aspect is that if you have ways to keep them interested, having fun at certain things, competition, all that – it also, because there's another word th- that's been thrown around a lot. Hey, concentrate. Okay, thank you for the word. Um, I, I understand what it means, but I'm not really sure what, how to do it. Yeah. And, and, and the things you talked about forces on the contrary. When you say, um, you know, throwing or playing catch is boring, but also now you're incorporating games and throwing. Now they got to concentrate on that game. Now they're learning how to concentrate. So I think it, that's yeah. part of coaching, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I refer to Sun Tzu, the art of war. All the time that the game is always won prior to it's being played there's a lot of thought process that goes into that saying right you practice with a purpose and when you talk about concentration right it's all pre-done i think you have to have that mindset before you get into your skill set so if you know you're going to play the outfield and you're going to be working on footwork you got to be going through that in your head what does that look like for me and then if I have a challenge, I got to stop the coach and say, okay, here's where my challenge is. Okay. So now we're thinking through the process and that's the thing. Everything has a process and you got to think through that. So I never say to my kids, Hey, I need you to concentrate. I will always say to my kids, are you losing focus? Let's bring it back to what's important. Okay. Let's not talk about the video game or the girl you called or text the night before. Let's stay in the present. Let's focus on the now. Okay. And then when practice is over, text away. Okay. Because we move on to something else mentally. Right. So yeah, I never use that word concentrate so much.
1: Another term that comes up old school, new school. I got to believe, I got to believe both of them have a positive spin on it because you got some things that I know I taught when I was younger, I'm still teaching now. Um, And then there's new things I'm teaching now. So really one isn't worse than the other.
0: You know, it's, it's,
1: Unless you're just using old school,
0: well, to me is 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 you have to break down what old school means, right? A lot of guys will say, "Hey, swing down to it, long through it." For somebody who doesn't know that, I don't know what you're talking about, because the new school and the old school they kind of intertwine, right? Honestly, I'm not swinging down; I'm getting on plane. But but you got to explain the swing down. The barrel's going to come down, right? Right, and if and if you can explain the old school, then the new school is easy. Because I think they intertwine a little bit, right? Yeah. But it also comes with education. If, you, if you're if you stuck in old school, right? What worked for me in the 90s and I don't care about new school, I think it's irresponsible. I think it's irresponsible on your part. You shouldn't be teaching kids that way because it becomes your way or nothing. And guess what? Most kids don't hit like Bill Sandillo. They don't hit like Barry Bonds. You know, they don't hit like most people, and I call that having your own swing DNA. There are certain things we all have to do, but guess what? What makes you unique is what gives you that DNA, and don't try to be somebody else, right? So, the new school, I get it. The old school, I get it, but to me, it's education. You can't say one is better than the other, right? But here's the thing. I'm just evolving, right? Could Babe Ruth play in today's game? Maybe. But guess what? Pitchers have gotten better. Spin rate now, we know what to do. Balls have gotten better. Equipment's gotten better. It just evolves, right? So if we're not keeping up with evolution, we're dinosaurs. We're dying. We're extinct. And I think that's how the state of the game is too, right? If we're stuck in what worked and we're not thinking about, hey, let's move forward, we're dinosaurs. We're going to die.
1: We're going to die. Yeah, and speaking about dinosaurs, uh, you know, Ted Williams was new school before new school was new school. Absolutely. Williams was teaching that when he was playing and when he was coaching. Um, You know, I mean, and that just gives you an idea that, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of misinterpretation, a lot of things that we're we're bringing across, especially Mm -hmm. as we talked about, especially on social media. Um, Yes. What's your advice to young coaches coming in that – are up to date on the new school technology and some of the teachings, but yet really don't understand some of the old school processes. And I, and I, and the reason I asked that is because I hear, you know, when and I'm sure you've come across this 30, 78 years in the game. I hear things now being taught that we taught 25 years ago, but yeah. just said differently and spun differently. Now, some of it is for marketing purposes. I get it. Um, I understand yeah. that. I mean, marketing's part of the business. Um, but, you know, how do you, how do you, I guess, handle that when you don't know what was taught 15, 20 years ago? Does it really matter?
0: Yeah, I mean, good question. Education. I, you constantly have to educate yourself on what you're trying to get your point across. If you think that squish the bug is relevant and good, why? you got to have some positive stuff on why you think it's good. Otherwise, why are you doing it? You know, I often talk about my kids. My kids say to me, Coach, I love an an open stance. Okay? My question all the time is, what does that do for you? I don't know. Then don't do it. Okay? You don't want to create a problem to solve a problem, right? (laughs) Right. So, and that's the thing. I always have them ask the question. If I'm going to say this. Why? I don't do it. I still do it today going, okay, if I have a philosophy on turning the barrel in high-level swing patterns and how to create launch speed, launch velocity and barrel head speed, why do I say it that way? Here's why. Now, it's your job to say, you know, I agree with you or I think you're full of it, right? And that's okay. That's okay. You're going to be on either side of the fence or you're going to have stuff in the middle to go, yeah, you know, I see what you mean, but I say it this way. Yes, you, you can say it the same way, but different, right? I always say same, but different, right? That's okay. But here's the, here's the thing, and we, we've talked about this, and we, we need to address this. If I'm coming into today's game and I've educated myself on everything, I really think there needs to be regulation. That's the one thing that's lacking in the, on the youth level for sure, and even on the pro level. If we're, if we're just going to hand out pro jobs to ex players with no due diligence, it's irresponsible. Because I, I know this for a fact, that some of the best coaches are in the minor leagues, and we're not rewarding those guys for their 30 years of being in the minors when they're still making 50000 a year with that major league hitting coach who needs his two years to get his tenure is going to make a million dollars a year. Mm. It's not fair, and it's not good for the game. Then you got the youth level, that you got every coach that ever coached little league baseball is now got a coach title, and so insurance by day, coach by night, right? And now they're teaching Johnny how to hit. You don't agree? There's conflict. Tommy John surgery is up 400 percent in the last five years. That's not that's An not accident. by accident. Nope. And little league elbow, by the way, I hate to say it this way, is called little league elbow because of little league. So we're hurting kids on the way up because we don't have regulation. I, I'm a certified coach, but here's the thing. I would recertify if, if Major League Baseball put it out there and said, before you take dime one from anybody, you go get certification. I would do it because I believe in what I need to do but guys don't believe in it if you ask a major leaguer and i've had plenty of major league guys come to me and say hey bill i would love to coach with you at your academy and i say well let's get you certified well what do you mean
1: yeah
0: (laughs) i'm a big league guy again you're you did what you did and it was successful for you but i can't put you in a cage with a 12 year old i have no idea what you're going to tell him are you going to tell him stories that you did because that doesn't help him right Right. If we are all on the same page and we're ego free about this, by the way, if we can just check our ego at the door and say, listen, we all are adhering into a system and let major league baseball or somebody else put it out. I don't care. But if it cost me two grand to get certified and I would be one of those 10% that did it, I would do it.
1: Bill. You, do- you, yeah. And you have a certification program. Uh, before you get into that, I got yeah. three signs now. I've got not yeah. your fault, do your job and why. I think yes. that's a big one. That's a huge one. Why do you yes. do what you do? I think coaches need to ask themselves that a lot. Every right. time they see something on video, why am I going to teach that? Um, is right. it good? Does it work? And then we all know that, every, you know, you don't teach kids all the same now. It used to right. be that way. Now the Japanese threw that theory out the window, but that's a whole different culture. Um, yeah. You brought yep. up a good point. I want, to t- I want to talk about your certification, but you brought up a good point because I want to give a little kudos, even though we're way behind the eight ball. USA Baseball started a certification, not a certification, but a program where, you yes, you can get certified by USA Baseball. Uh, they have yep. thing online. We're way behind the eight ball because that should have happened 30 years ago. But, again, it, yes. it is what it is, and we have to deal with it now. It's, you know, in the U.S., it's kind of like the Wild West. When I look at some of the best countries in the world, I've been to Cuba, by far one of the best baseball countries in the world, only 60,000 players. I say it all the time, they can compete with the highest level. We got 26 million amateur players compared to them at 60,000. And look at the right. players that produced. Why? Everything is taught the same in Cuba. It's standardized, they've been standardizing it. They've been standardizing it for years. Canada, they don't have that many players. They got a lot of guys in the big leagues. They got a certification program nationwide run by their government. I get right. it. Here in the U.S., it's not easy to do that because, you know, it's up to the national organizations. And, folks, we're not taking calls right now, um, but, we'll, uh, but text me if you got a question. Uh,
0: and let me touch on that for a second, Pete. Yeah, go ahead. You mentioned Canada. You mentioned some of these people that have certifications. Look, look at other sports, right? In Canada and hockey, It was their number one sport. Like, baseball is for us. Canada has five levels of certification before you can coach a national team. Why aren't we taking that model and putting it into baseball? It makes no sense to me, right? Soccer, the highest levels of soccer. Now, soccer is the number one sport in the world. They have certification. When I was over in Italy and I got a chance to see a high-level game, right, man, they're good at what they do, but I watched their practice. They're fundamentally unbelievable. So why is soccer so good? Why is hockey so good? Why do they have certifications, by the way? Right. <laughs> why don't we have that?
1: And We're here's the powerhouse. And here's what's interesting. I want to I want to phrase it with this part because I think it's it's it'll be fair to the volunteers. Um, you know, volunteers mean well. They're moms and dads. They mean well. Sure. They want a good intention. But it's our responsibility not to charge them to to become better, but to help them become better. When I say us. I'm talking about national organizations like USA Baseball, The Governing Body, like Little League, Pony, whoever it may be. It's their responsibility to supply that information for them because they're giving yes. up the times. And like you said earlier, that's that mom and dad that's working. It's, you know, so it's not their fault. Um, right. We need to help them to be able to get better because if we don't do that, the, the kids aren't gonna get better. And if they, ultimately what's gonna happen is they're just gonna teach what they think is best and that's not really good.
0: It's not good because you're getting most of your information from the internet. And we don't, there's a thousand million crazy people out there putting posting videos. Right. And they're all different. And I'll say this about certification. High schools to be a high school coach, you need to be certified through the local established high school districts, Mm -hmm. but their certification isn't about procedure. It's about safety. You know what to do if somebody hurts himself on the baseball field. It's not about fundamentals. We have to have a standardized fundamental program that if you get out of pro ball and you want to work in pro ball, you need to be certified. You need to invest in your own education. We go to Harvard. I I took a course online this summer at Harvard, right? And Harvard will tell you, I'm going to charge you X amount of dollars to take this course. I'm going to make you be responsible. If you want to go to the highest level school to learn something, right? Absolutely. You pay to get that education, Right when I see certifications that are ten dollars or for free, I go, the, the, the mindset is because it's ten bucks or free, there's nothing involved. You know, I but want you gotta, let me ask
1: you, you got to yeah. believe that the certification is ultra critical, um, at the youth levels because yeah. that's where it all starts. And and, and and that's what I meant to say earlier, and I almost forgot. I can send my 10 year old to the grammar school, that, that teacher's got to be certified. But now I can send my 10-year-old to a travel team that, by the way, trains and competes almost all year round, and that person doesn't have to be certified? Yeah. And that's it's disgusting.
0: Problem. It's bad. And here's the thing. You go back to that triangle, right? When you got these travel teams that all they want to do is play, the coaches don't have that education. They just want the rings. They want this. And then that half of that team doesn't go on to play high school baseball. You know what I mean? They're not certified in that triangle I talked about earlier where you have 100% of your time, would you rather practice, train, or play? Majority of the time, those travel ball teams, they want to play two and three tournaments a month because they think by playing high-level people, their kids are getting better. But I know this talking to scouts. I talk to scouts all the time. You don't care about the rings you get at 12U or 15U. You look and see is if I'm going to draft you, I don't have to develop you. When I get you into my system, you work through my system, and there's what we call player development, right? But as you get through high school, if I'm going to give you a million dollars to sign with me, you better know your stuff right away. I'm not going to sign you if, if, if you don't have those fundamentals, the baseline fundamentals to be a pro, right, or to get the scholarship to play at a high-level college, right? We have Arizona State and U of A here. High-level Division One, right? Uh, Twitter just put something out that ASU has the most paid athletes, and they beat, they're, they're, they're beating Vanderbilt by a little bit, right? But it pays to go to Arizona State if you're going to be a high-level athlete. But for, in order for Arizona State to, to recruit you, you better have high-level skills before you get there.
1: Yeah, I remember. And, matter of fact, you mentioned in the ball. Uh, I used to get yeah. scouts all the time send me players in independent ball, and the first thing I asked is, can he play? because um, I don't care if yeah. he's got a strong arm and he can run and he can have great bat speed. If he can't play the game, I need him to play now. So what, right. exactly what you're saying, you're, if you develop them young enough, their value is going to be much better later on. Not only that, they're going to stay in the game longer. And that's what we're right. trying to you know, phrase all the time. Here's the yeah. other part. You started travel baseball when it first initially started. Um, yes. you had a lot of teams, a lot of players. Advice, because this is what it's all about. What advice do you have for travel coaches to have a successful travel team program. I'm not talking only monetarily because you got to survive monetarily. It's a business. And please folks, don't tell me that you can't make money in baseball. I've heard that way too many times. I take teams around the world. I give a great service. It's a service. I got to go to a doctor. I got to pay him. I got to go to my attorney. I got to pay him. If you're coming to me and you want to have international baseball experience or sports experience, yes, you've got to pay for it. But the answer is, or the question is, am I giving you the value for it? Because I hear that way too many times. Oh, you're making yeah. money in baseball. Really? There's something wrong with that? I mean, what, what, what am I, evil? So yeah. my point, the point to all this is this. Your advice, because you've been successful at it, you've seen yes. where your players have gone on. What's your advice to travel programs, coaches, that or administrators that are running those programs?
0: Yeah, I mean, I have a blueprint. I have a blueprint that works. And here's, here's why my blueprint works. First thing I do is I educate coaches that want to coach. I had, I had three coaches come to me. Good example from little league says, Hey coach, I got an all-star team. I want to come and we want to be under your brand. Okay. So I send them all the information. You need to be certified. You need to believe in this. And what the feedback I got was, do I really have to be certified? And why do, if I have, you know, something I want to teach. Can't I teach it? I'm like, absolutely. Remember I said, my system is living, breathing entity. I rely on guys to come into my system with their own ideas. And then we can decipher whether they're good, bad, or indifferent through the certification process. Right? Because if you have a better mousetrap, I want it. Right. Mm -hmm. But if your mousetrap doesn't show me the why I can't, I'm not going to go with it. So if you're stuck in the why, or you're stuck in how you're doing it, I can't help you. So the blueprint for me is find good coaches. I call it the Pipe Piper effect. If my coaches are certified, then the players get taught the correct way. I show up. We're all speaking the same language. And we're we're going on long-term development here. So if you're saying to me as a team, I want to play two, three times a month, you're not for me because I'm going to develop you. We're going to practice twice a week. You're going to practice on your own. I'm going to offer specialized training, you know, that you have to pay for, right? But other than that, I'm going to give you the structure that you don't have to pay for, right? It's just going to come out of your dues monthly, but that's what you're paying for monthly. That's the value, right? And if you're saying to me, well, I want more playing time, more more, more playing time, then there's 30 other organizations that will give you the playing time but I guarantee you once you're done playing and you're not learning anything, come back to me and I'll, I'll, I'll teach you something, right? Because 98% of my guys go on to play high school baseball, okay, 75% go on to play college baseball. And those are good numbers because my whole thing with with player development is, let's try to get to the next level, whatever that level is, right? We're not trying to go from high school to the pros necessarily, We're trying to go from junior high to high school to college. And if you're lucky to the pros, right, Right. there's no guarantees. But here's the thing I tell parents. Do you want your son's education paid for? Because we can get him a scholarship. He might have to play out in Wisconsin. He might have to play in Illinois. He may have to play at a cold-weather state and not a warm-weather state. But there's money to be had if your son is good enough. And that some, should be the end
1: goal, right? Yeah, and something I like that you said earlier, too, which kind of relates to the long-term development, the agility aspect, you know, at the younger levels. Um, they don't get enough agility work, strength and conditioning. I mean strength, uh, their own body strength. You know, yeah. because we're asking them to do certain skills, right? But at, at eight years old, we haven't trained them how to move properly. Right. Um, but let, right, now right. we want them to go feel the ground ball, but we're going to teach the technique, but the body's not going to allow them to do it because we haven't taught them how to move their body. Yeah.
0: And that's where playing other sports comes in, right? Mm-hmm. So if I got a guy who plays three sports as opposed to a guy who just plays baseball and then he takes his four months off, he comes back, and we start working on agility, we can tell who hasn't worked. We can tell the guys that are going to be the athletes. I love the term um, try to be an athlete, not a baseball player. I love that term, right? So well, Another when I sign
1: guys, I got to put up. Yeah. That's another sign you gave me. I'm going to be yeah. broke. Go ahead.
0: An athlete don't be, I don't want you to be a baseball player. I want you to be an athlete. Right. And so I see that all the time. I see great athletes playing this game. So, but I got a bunch of guys to say, "Hey, I just want, I want to play baseball. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be behind. If you're not going to do something else, you're behind. So we run agility. We see the guys huffing and puffing and we see the guys who can't get through it. Right. So yeah, you got to play other sports. That's what it really comes down to.
1: Awesome. Hey, Bill, as we come to the end here, um, what I do want to talk about is uh, a little bit about Italian baseball. Folks, yeah. you've got two Italians. You're going to talk Italian yeah. baseball. Sorry. But also yes. our friends, Claudio Vecchi, you know, I know he's online here on Facebook and uh, um, let me see here. I had Billy Lunero. Um, You know, when it comes to Italian baseball, it's interesting because I know you spent some time there. I'm going to make sure I get the yeah. link to Padova, to make sure they see this because I don't see yes. anybody from Padova online right now. Um, but give us a little background, a little background on Italian baseball and where it, you know where it's heading, what, it, what you liked about it um, possibly maybe. Yeah. maybe. So let,
0: let me, let me back up first for a second. So I'm a stage four cancer survivor. I'm oh. nine years, nine years wow. in the battle. I'm still battling. Right. Wow. Um, Italy has always been my bucket list. My father came from Naples. So, and my father, and I don't know if you can see this or oh, right here.
1: I see Ted Williams. I didn't think that was your dad.
0: That's, that's Joe DiMaggio. Yep. That picture was taken by my dad. Wow. So, my dad played against Joe DiMaggio in 1951 in World War II. That's in Tokyo, Japan. Okay. My dad was um, a minor leaguer, a D minor leaguer, and his love of the game, he taught me the love of the game. And I said, you know something? at some point I want to get to Italy where my dad was from because they have a baseball league over there. And if I said, if I could ever get something crossed off my bucket list because I had cancer, that would be it. So the opportunity came up out of the blue. I just started forwarding resumes to the Italian baseball league. And I got a call from Padua saying they're looking for a manager and I interviewed and I got the job. Now there was an American playing in Padua the year before. His name was Mark Tehan. Mark played with Kansas City. He Mm -hmm. has a house here in Arizona. He didn't want the job, but he told them about me. And they called me, I interviewed, I got the job. And I'll tell you what, man, it it, it, it still comes to tears now uh, because of my heritage. When I stepped off the plane into Venice, I dropped to my knees and I'm like, I can't believe I'm in Italy. I can cross that off. I can cross that off my bucket list. It still brings me to tears because I couldn't believe I was in Italy going to coach baseball and be able to see the history of the game, the history of my father, you know, spend all this time over there. It was just an unbelievable experience.
1: Now, and and talk about wait, talk about volunteers, the passion, they're all volunteers there, the passion they have for the game is incredible.
0: It's unbelievable, and you know, you know, soccer is their number one sport, and probably basketball is their number two sport, or rugby, whatever it is. There, there's a huge passion for this game. They, they are thirsty for knowledge. And when I was in Padua, which is 30 miles outside of Venice, right, it's a, it's a destination. We only had like 150 fans a night, and the coaches were doing some things there. And I was watching them go through their stuff. And I'm like, I'd ask the Italian pitchers, hey, how come you do that? They said, that's what we're learning at the Italian Academy. Mm -hmm. And I would shake my head. I was going, okay, you know, I I have an opinion as an American coach, right? That I probably wouldn't do some of those things. But I didn't say, they're bad, don't do it. I just said, okay, so I want to give you another way. And I want to see how you work with it, right? So it was hard to adjust. But I did implement my hitting program over there. The hitters, they loved it. They loved it. They, I would told, I told them a couple major leaguers that, you know, were doing this stuff, and he's there. They loved it. Our batting average went up 100 points, right? Wow. They're thirsty for information, and they want good coaches over there. Um, unfortunately, there's no money. The right. Italian league is, is really strapped for money. So I, I, I ended up talking to – a guy who owned a water polo team over there. Now this guy's a multimillionaire and I'm still talking to him. I said, why don't you, because he asked me, he said, what's the budget for a series A team over there? I said, 300,000, 300,000 euros. Right. He said, my budget for my team is 5 million. I said, okay, here's the deal. Why don't you put Padua under your umbrella? you're you're this is a high level sport for you baseball would be nothing but you could grow it through your connections why don't you do that why aren't big companies in italy taking baseball under their wing like they do with soccer so if you're an owner of roma right the series a soccer team why don't you own natuno why don't you give them money to survive and put them under your umbrella and all the marketing you do for soccer why don't you do it for them I I just don't understand why we can't grow the game. In Italy, why can't they grow the game financially themselves? And then why doesn't Major League Baseball come and put together a systematic approach and a methodology that all teams and coaches can go on? My experience over there, the Europeans, the the Italians weren't the guy. They weren't the draw. It was the Venezuelans, the Dominicans. Mm -hmm. Those guys could play. So those guys are getting paid a lot of money to come over, right? The pitchers, the infielders. And then the Italians were kind of an afterthought. Mm. You had to play them because 80% of the team needed to be Italian. But that's the attitude I got was we want less Italians and more foreigners. It's an Italian league, right? And we we got to take care of our league. and. I know I could do great things over there and I, I, I want to help Padua. Padua dropped down to series C the next year. And so they told me they could not afford me to come back. And I really told them, I said, listen, I, I just need certain bills covered because I have two kids in a house yeah. and I have to close my Academy right in the summer for three months. So I lose a lot of money, but I'm not looking to make a lot of money. I just want to maintain. So it's hard to get an American to come over there and coach full time. Uh, just to survive, but I but I'm so willing to do that, and I know there's a couple other people willing to do that, uh, just so we could grow the game. And that's what I'm talking to Chris about. And you know, Europe, really Europe, we can grow the game in Europe too. Not just not just Italy, but I think Italy. I want to help them first because there's a lot of thirst for knowledge, but there's not enough knowledge coming back to them. You know.
1: Yeah. But speaking of that, shout out to Alex Liddy, who uh, first Italian that went to the big leagues. Uh, yes. Also, also good friend uh, Alessandro Maestri, who played with the Cubs at Double A, then went on to Mexico and, and uh, yep. Japan. And I know and Alessandro places. really well. They've they've developed. A, they've developed a lot of good players. And like you said, one of the challenges, uh, you know, and they've been playing the game for a long time since you know the Americans barked at Anzio. Um, yes. You know, one of the challenges is the financial part, and that's always been a challenge there in trying to grow the game. You know, with financially and also. You know, they try to set up some good systems with their coaches' education program. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes. You know, they've had some coaching programs that they have there every year. Um, so they're working hard at it. Uh, and I know it's not easy. Obviously, they're competing yes. against soccer. Um, but it continues yes. great work. And I want to give them a shout-out. And I want to finish it with this, the question of the day. Um, <clears throat> Bill Sandillo, Commissioner of Youth Sport Baseball. And I say youth, meaning all of youth, not just uh, uh, travel ball or in-house ball, all of it, and you can implement certain things into the game to make it better. I don't know. What would be so, a few of those things?
0: I know that people are going to hate me for saying this, but uh, do away with Little League baseball on uh, the national level when we take guys in Williamsport. Don't yeah. glamorize it that much because when you glamorize it, that's all people care about on the Little League level is putting those teams together to compete at Williamsport I know Williamsport's a business I know I know I know that's where they get their money the TV time but I think that takes away from the development at the Little League level I think Little League has to do a better job with regulation I think if I'm the Commissioner of Youth Baseball in the United States I want regulation 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 I want certification I want a a uniform plan of attack that can change daily, monthly, yearly. And then I want to put a good board of directors together, not necessarily made up of ex-pro guys, but maybe ex-pro guys or college guys or somebody that has the vision for development. We got to take the word pro away from your name and make you a developer. And if you can develop, then we will become the number one sport in the world for years to come because we will put out more athletes, not baseball players, that can compete in life because we're not always gonna play at the highest level. So at the youth level, we have to change the mindset, we gotta regulate, we gotta give them certification, we gotta bring in some good methodology that gets you ready for life, not just baseball.
1: Love it, and something that I really believe in, and we've talked about, I mean, probably over-talked about it on the show, but we love to over-talk because we believe in it this much. Um, Science has shown it, there's been research, and I'm also gonna show you, that there's been results. So that's what I always follow. And that is, you talk about that long-term development. At the younger levels, they've got to practice more than they play. Because I look at all the most successful countries in the world. I know some to say the U.S. is successful. I get it. We are. We got great coaches at the high levels. We got great coaches, younger levels. We've got obviously major league players. But we also have 26 million amateur players that play this game in the U.S. And when I look at countries like Cuba... Canada, Australia, a lot less numbers. And I can go on. I look at, and people say, well, in Cuba, they play a lot of games. Uh, Excuse me. Yes, they play all year round. They play a lot of games. But if they play 100 games, I know they practice 200 times. Same thing with Japan, one of the most successful countries. I think that mindset needs to be, and especially convincing the parents. um, Hockey had a tough time doing it, but finally they they were able to change some mindset um, in hockey here in the U.S., that we've got to play practice more than we play because they'll be more successful, but we can intermingle, you know, intermingle those two by having maybe some simulated games. And I think that's something else I'd throw in there.
0: Yeah. And here's, I go back to that triangle, right? hundred percent of your time. Where do you want to spend your time? Either practicing, playing or training, your training and practicing has to make up 80% of that in my book. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't care where you put your numbers, but it has to be 80%. And, By doing inner squad games, I've learned that I can stop the game when there's a mistake in practice. In a game, you can't do that. Right. But here's the thing. In a practice situation, when we're playing a simulated game, I can stop and say, okay, fix it right now. Okay, let's go back to that play in the gap. Give me that triple relay and hit your cutoffs. Go. And we do it again. It's not going to change the outcome of the game that we were in. But we can stop the game, redo it, correct it, and say, "Okay, let's pick it up from here." You know,
1: it know has that, to be done. And I love that you're recreating that, and we can't do that in real games. And, can't do it again. And, and you have to, re- and if you recreate it in back, next day in practice, that's not the same because they're not doing it actually in that inter-squad game. Um, I, yeah. I'll throw this at you too: Why, I, you know, why not make it mandatory that, you know, maybe I don't know, once a week, tw- maybe once a week. Kids can play on their own. Nobody t- does anything. Just let them go play on their own. Maybe you have an adult there watching just to supervise. But nothing happens. They just play on their own, the way we used to in the old days. Um, yeah. You know, that might be mandatory. It would be, be a lot more fun for kids.
0: Yeah. Remember I say I have five agendas, right? One of those agendas is we play reverse wiffle ball. So home plate is at second base. And I have – we show up to a practice, and I have the kids break up their teams. And all we do as coaches – is work on our agendas for next time and talk strategy while these kids are playing a game. And that's their fun day, right? That's their non stress day. I call it right. And we play reverse baseball where we turn second base into home plate and we put the batting cage where it's home plate. That's their, that's their home run, you know, the screen. So it's a lot of fun. But again, it goes back to, if, if your agenda is always stretch, throw base, run, hit, stretch, throw, it's boring. You got a zero. Kid, that's why you lose kids, right? And that's why organizations aren't good organizations. You don't have that development, and you got to stress that development.
1: Love it. All right. Great yeah. way to end the show. Hey, Bill, got to thank you, man. This was outstanding from one Italian to another. Uh, grazie yeah. tanto. Hey. We really appreciate grazie. it.
0: Grazie mille.
1: All right. Thanks, that's good. That's Bill Sandillo. A special shout-out to our friends in Padua and also, you know, all our friends in Italy, ba- Italian baseball. We wish you the best. Um, remember, this is the show that loves to interview baseball's best coaching minds who love the challenge, the status quo. Uh, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe to YouTube, Peter Caliendo, 90-plus shows. Also, our audio at Baseball Outside the Box. Um, don't forget, please subscribe to YouTube. I keep harping on that. I'll, uh, I hope you do that because I think you'll really enjoy it. If you enjoyed this show, you're going to enjoy the other ones also. And remember, um, we'll be back Monday, Monday through Friday, usually around 11 p.m., 11 a.m. Central Time, with more shows. We're going to continue the long-term development, and we're going to talk about it continuously because we think it's so important. Um, uh, and and lastly, um, Colonial Sports International will be going to Cuba. If everything goes well, we're down now starting our recruiting. We're playing in Cuba in Christmas. During that time, we'll be training with the Cuban players and also competing. That team will be 15, 14, and 13. And I say 15, 14, and 13 because 13-year-olds can play with 15-year-olds if they have the ability. Um, Remember, there's a biological age. Um, I'm not a big fan of one-age teams, but that's another story to talk about. Um, We'll go on. Folks, in the U.S. and – Obviously all over the world want to thank you for joining the show. That's Bill Sandillo. Uh special thanks to Brian Crocker, producer with the LINE at Media Group. I'm Pete Caliendo. See you on the next show.
0: Ciao thank you. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at baseballoutsidethebox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at lineupmedia.fm.